the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things, put them in your brain. Episode of Funk Radio. I'm Kyle. And I'm Peter. Today we're going to be um, discussing a often overlooked segment of the funk and soul genre, One Hit Wonders. Basically, these are artists that had one song that they're really known for, whether it was actually uh, it reached number one on the charts, or actually, in, the, in my case, I'm kind of considering artists, even if they didn't reach number one. Just ones that are like culturally Just, significant. Yeah, or like, yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, or that's the only song that they're known for, mm-hmm. which is actually the case for a lot of people, sadly. Yeah, it's really it's really funny how many artists there are in this genre that basically had one popular song and then just didn't really do much else. I suppose that's the case with any genre. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, but I mean, it's yeah. got to be hard because, I mean, you come up with a formula that works that just happens to become immensely popular but then like how are you supposed to do that again exactly it's really hard to recreate i mean there's always there's always that notion in anything creative where you come up with something that works and it's either you try and come up with that idea again and people like it or you do it again and they say why do you sound exactly the same or yeah do exactly the same thing yeah i mean when you think about it the the artists who have the most you know number one hits or just most uh popular songs in general they are really the ones who are able to adapt over time to what's popular, as opposed to bands that are mostly one-hit wonders. When you listen to the rest of their stuff that basically no one has ever heard of, it's in their same style that of that one song, kind of. But, I mean, none of it's that much different. Yeah, there's, there's, very, there's not really a, a whole lot of bands that I can think of or groups that like have multiple hits that don't sound similar. I guess one exception that we could um, say is, um, gosh, Bee Gees, because we were just discussing a few episodes ago how they had that those hits back in the '60s that were more like soft rock, almost poppy, right? And then they transitioned to disco, and they were popular in both genres. So I guess that's all, there's always exceptions, but really, you know what's funny now that I'm really thinking about it mm-hmm. is, um, it seems like that was more of the case in the past than it is today. I don't know what your opinion on really? it is, but it seems like like a lot of artists that are popular today that have multiple popular songs, those songs sound similar. Like, That's actually, yeah, actually, yeah, I would like, agree like, with you. Don't get me, like, I love the Black Keys, don't get me wrong, but all their right. stuff has a very similar sound. I mean, they, yeah. they fluctuate a little bit within their genre, but it all, I mean, maybe because they're a much more simpler group, it's two guys, a drummer and a guitarist. Yeah, I'd say that's more the case today than it was before you really had to, I don't know, do a lot of different things to stay popular, whereas today it's like if you do something popular, you can just repeat that and you stay popular for a while. Actually, when you mentioned uh, modern artists, all their stuff sounded kind of the same. I don't want to um, upset any fans, but the one that came to mind was Lady Gaga. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I mean, I don't really that's, listen that's, to her stuff, but I hear a lot of it on the radio, and a lot of perfect. her songs sound the same. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, once you get into the really popular genre like that, pop, basically, you basically just have to have a catchy beat and whatever, and then <laughs> you just stay popular because people like to dance to it. I don't know. It's like modern disco. Do you think, um, actually, along that same line, do you think Michael Jackson in the 80s kind of was guilty of I that? think so. I think pop is a really specific genre with that where because it's popular, um, they have to maintain a certain sound or maintain to, I guess, uh, maintain their status. Right. Just that genre, you know, of the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Lady Gaga, I don't know, One Direction, whatever's mm-hmm. popular right now. All their stuff sounds sounds very, very similar, and all their stuff sounds very, very overproduced, I guess would be a good word to put it, mm-hmm. because it's so calculated to be, you know, as, I don't know, accepted as possible by the masses. Hmm. starting to sound hipster here um (laughs) well um getting back to topic i guess um well we've been kind of been on topic well maybe anti-topic anti-topic yeah back on topic um since we are discussing one hit wonders from soul and disco and funk the first one that came to mind to me because i love this song but really i don't know much else that this guy did is um al wilson he did a song in 1974 called show and tell and it actually reached number one for about a week in january but really aside from that song i think he had one other song that was called the snake that he did in 1968 that was semi-popular but nowhere near what show and tell was other than that i mean he toured with some minor artists like johnny harris and the statesman uh in his late teens because he was actually a drummer initially Mm. and then he served in the navy and then he ended up settling in l.a and tried to make it as a musician in the club scene, I guess. But he had that he had the song Show and Tell from the title album, and really he didn't really do much before or after that. But honestly, this is probably one of my all time favorite songs in the soul kinda R and B genre. I don't know why, I'm sure a lot of you have heard it, but it's one of those things where you know the song, you don't know the artist. So maybe maybe that's maybe that's the case with a lot of one at wonders, I don't know. So let's uh listen to a clip of Show and Tell by Elvis. So- It's actually, you know, I was thinking, because listening to that, it's funny because, you know, it's such a good song, has a really great sound to it, you would think that he would be able to come up with more stuff that would be popular, and it's really too bad, you know, I think, Yeah. that he, he wasn't able to do that. He had a lot of potential, I don't know really what was holding him back, because that song was amazing, and if he produced anything anywhere near that, I would listen to it. Maybe, you know, because he was a drummer initially, maybe he just never really felt the whole, uh, like, lead singer, I guess thing maybe he wanted to go back to drumming or he felt that was more of his passion i don't know did he write show and tell or did he did he just perform it i'm pretty sure he wrote it oh really but no no actually um gosh um i think actually it was written by somebody else and someone else performed it but he did a cover that became really uh cool. that's don't, cool don't quote me i'm like 80 percent sure that's what i read okay um so if that's true i mean i never heard the original but i'd like to mm. you know but yeah awesome song and one of the awesome one-hit wonders, I guess, of that of the 70s. Right. And actually, jumping ahead a little bit to uh, the early 80s, when we were thinking about one-hit wonders, one of the artists I thought of were the uh, the famous duo, uh, the Weather Girls. 
and they're famous for the song It's Raining Men. What's interesting about this is that it actually only peaked at 46 on the Hot 100 chart, uh-huh. which I found interesting because it's actually, I mean, it's a fairly well-known song, right? Yeah. But it did hit number one on the uh, the dance chart, which I guess isn't that surprising because it's a pretty good dance song. Anyway, let's listen to a clip. So the Weather Girls, they were actually brought together by Sylvester. And if you don't know who she is, she's kind of considered the uh, the queen of disco. And she really had a, a big influence on a lot of disco during the 70s and 80s. Um, so they were actually a backup vocalist for her. Back then, they were actually known as Two Tons of Fun, kind of <laughs> <laughs> calling attention that they were both rather large women. They were obese. <laughs> yes. And they actually, I, they actually have a fair number of songs that they were, were successful with. But once they came out with uh, It's Raining Men in 1982, that really put them on the map, I guess. And they actually changed the name to The Weather Girls, kind of in reference to It's Raining Men, which I thought was kind of funny. I just now made that connection. I am a genius. You are a genius, Kyle. Yes. I kind of like Two Tons of Fun better. That's kind of Yeah, I think that's more playful and kind of playing off the fact that they are both fairly heavy set, which maybe lends to their awesome voices. I don't know more vibrato inside their fat rolls yeah <laughs> terrible I, I hope they never hear this um i hope they do and then they can come on the show and tell you off kyle oh but that, that would be sad i <laughs> that would be a low point in my entire life to be told off by the weather girls <laughs> that's true that's true that would um, be pretty bad <laughs> yeah another artist um i guess in the disco genre who probably has one of the most famous disco songs around, um, the artist Van McCoy. He did the song Do the Hustle, um, which actually reached number one in 1975, and actually won a Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental in the year after 76. It's funny because I guess he actually started his own recording studio in Philadelphia in like 59 and actually became famous in the 60s as a songwriter and not a song performer. And he actually wrote such hits as Giving Up by Gladys Knight and the Pips and Baby I'm Yours by Barbara Lewis. I, I guess uh, when he decided to do the song Do the Hustle, it was actually released on an LP called Disco Baby in 75, obviously trying to capitalize off of the popularity of the genre at the time. Right. And while the album really wasn't slighted to sell very well because it was mostly instrumental, Do the Hustle actually reached number one and became a huge staple of disco. Unfortunately, I guess McCoy died of a heart attack at only 39 in uh, 79, so he, I guess, didn't really have the opportunity to reproduce his, uh, his prior success. Yeah. I think that song was really popular because, I guess the best way I could put it, it was the Macarena of the 70s. Yeah, yeah. You know, remember the Macarena? Like, everyone did it. I think I did it in, like, music class in grade school. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it had a dance that went with it. And every, every time there's a song that has a specific dance with the song, like the chicken dance or whatever, everyone does it. <laughs> because you don't... Yeah. You, you know. Um, well, you know that the dance was around before the song, right? Yeah, I know. I know he was 
capitalizing off the dance, and obviously I'm sure the, the song made the dance much more popular, but it's just funny that, like, this guy who wrote great songs for great artists like Gladys Knight ended up becoming popular by doing making a song that white people could dance to. And hey, I guess the, I love how we bring this up every single time. Because I honestly, as much as I enjoy disco, I kind of, I don't know. You kind of hate word. white people? No, I don't hate white people. I am white. Um, that doesn't make a difference. I hate myself. I don't know. I think... Like, don't get me wrong, I like disco, and I like some of the songs. I just think that it's a much more, what's the what's the best way to put it, fakey genre, because it was kind of just a genre spurt that spawned out of the popularity of soul and R&B. Do you think it was just, more of like a, a more of like a fad genre? Exactly, there you go, perfect, perfect wording, it was a fad. Yeah. In the 70s, obviously, hence why there's no disco clubs around anymore. Right. And... Anything that's a fad basically is something that pulls from something that has more meaning and makes it accessible to people that aren't necessarily exposed to the original source material. Right. So I kind of resent disco a little bit because it pulled from something as meaningful as soul and R&B music and just made it commercially accessible to mm. people that wouldn't, wouldn't otherwise appreciate that kind of music. That's an interesting take on that. So yeah, that was my rant. Cool. Actually, some, one more thing I want to talk about the uh, with the hustle is that um, in doing reading, you know, previously, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know this, but I guess there wasn't just one hustle. I mean, there was like five or ten different variations of it, really? depending on the city that you were in. Basically, like ah. there was like the California hustle or the New York hustle. I see. Which I found kind of interesting. So it there wasn't actually just one. Kind of like the, uh, I guess, did you ever have to take dance class in gym and like, like and learn the electric slide? Um, the only I, don't, one I, do. I don't think I had to learn it, no. Uh, I, th- I think I'm like the only one that had to do that. Probably because I, you know, in middle school, I was in, I was in like a little podunk town. Hey, were you in, uh, oh, this was, you were in Chicago, right? Chicago land, but kind of far outside the city at that point. Right, right. Yeah, we had to take a class and learn, I don't know what you call it, like, hoedown music. <laughs> like, we learned the electric slide and like the cowboy shuffle, I don't you know. Did you learn the hustle? I don't remember. I'm sure we did. I don't know, like the, <laughs> the hoedown hustle or I don't even um, I'm sure we but did, you, but... you didn't get scarred for life? But... I was going to say, I kind of tried to block out a lot of that out of my memory, because <laughs> it was just awful. It, you, ever, you know the show, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo? Yes. Basically, that was the town I lived in. <laughs> <laughs> All I, right, then. I experienced people like that every day. <laughs> Pretty scary. It's, it's really sad how you don't have to go that far out of metropolitan areas to really kind of experience the much more rural uh, aspects of america but that's uh that's the backbone of america kyle okay ronald reagan um (laughs) (laughs) we are the what did he call the people the silent majority or something the moral majority they are the Uh, moral majority of america so are you and i like the moral majority of them yes Ooh, that's a very yeah that's a very that's why we need to build our headquarters in kansas so we can be part of the moral majority okay (laughs) Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, totally off topic. Back back to uh. What uh? What other what other one hit wonders do we got here, Peter? One of my favorites, actually, is Bell and James, who were a duo from Philadelphia, and they were made up of Leroy Bell and Casey James, and uh, they were actually I think one of them was black and one was white, kind of like uh. I mean, Hollow Notes did that, right? 
Didn't we find out that the guy from Hollow Notes isn't actually black, though? No, I thought he was, and then I saw a picture, and I thought maybe he wasn't, but then he is. So, <laughs> he is. Okay. So, Bell and James, they started out, uh, they actually got into the industry uh, in the mid-70s because Leroy Bell's uncle is actually Tom Bell, who is a legendary Philadelphia soul producer, and he is responsible for, like, so many uh, hit songs by, you know, other Philly bands like the Delphonics, the Stylistics, and the Spinners, and a bunch of others. Because I was reading off a list of a lot of the songs that he produced, and it's kind of it's kind of mind blowing because like so many of their notable songs, uh, this Tom Bell guy was the producer of. So that's really impressive. That is pretty cool. Like we should totally do an episode on like famous producers. That'd be cool. I would yeah. like that. Anyway, so his nephew was Leroy Bell, one of the two of Bell and James. And so I guess uh, his uncle got them into the industry. And around 1978, they started writing songs for other hit artists such as uh, the OJs and Gladys Knight and uh, Elton John. And in 1979, they came out with a pretty popular hit called Living It Up Friday Night. Uh, Let's listen to a little clip right now. So yeah, that was Living It Up Friday Night by Bell and James, and that hit number 15 on the pop chart in 1979. So again, not this is another example of one that they didn't hit number one, but I mean, it was within the top 40 at least for a little while. That's pretty crunchy. And this is, I mean, this is, yeah, exactly, this is pretty crunchy. <laughs> no. uh, so yeah, this this is the only song I know by them. I've only I've ever I've never even heard of them so yeah you're you're better you're better than me. You know where I heard this song when I first heard this song? Where? It was I was in, I think it was last it was last summer I think I was at Vegas. I was at the the Harris Buffet I believe. What were you doing in Vegas? I don't know I was just there for a couple of days. I was in the Harris and I heard that song and I was like oh that's a funky little song I'll check that out. And then like the next day I was in there again for some reason and they played it again. You need to get Soundhound. I think it's free. And seriously, like, yeah, let's you just like record a bit of the song that's playing, mm-hmm. and it like instantly tells you who it is. It's like the best app ever. I've used it so much. Mm. And that's for it's iPhone. For, it's for I, I mean I, iOS, Apple, I mean. Pro, Apple products. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm sure uh, there's an equivalent for Android for. You. I'm sure there. I think they have. I think they may have it for Android. If not, I know Shazam is uh, for both Android and Apple. I think most major apps these days are for both, so yeah, you don't because, really have to worry about them. Yeah, because Android is so popular now with that, uh, what's that, Galaxy 3S that came out, that's yeah. like actually the first real competitor to the iPhone for once. Mm. Um, Were the others not really? I don't I don't really know. I don't keep track. Um, I know that one not, was, nice. was a nice one. I don't know. I mean, you know, Android's always come out with decent phones like the Droid and stuff, but right. they just never had the, I don't know, they never had the selling power, I guess, that um, the iPhone had. Yeah. But now... Samsung, who's always been really known as a really good, you know, brand for phones forever, mm-hmm. um, came out with the Galaxy 3S, which is actually on par with even the new iPhone 5 that came out. Mm. Um, bigger screen. It's, I mean, it's Android-based. It's not Apple-based. Right. Um, it's bigger screen. It's got, like, 32 hard gigabyte hard drive, but it also has a slot for an external memory card, which Apple never has had. Mm. Yeah, I was actually reading an article the other day comparing the two. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and there's pros and cons of both, but I think it was sort of leaning toward the uh, the Galaxy 3s. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, honest, I mean, I have the four the four iPhone four right now, but once this thing poops on me, I might definitely go Android because the five really just didn't impress me at all. I don't know. It's like, oh yay, it's a half an inch taller. Something about um, Apple products is that they really they made they're really good at marketing their stuff, so it's like, oh, you have to have the newest one. But when you really come down to it, there's barely any difference between them. Yeah, it does. There's not a lot of. I mean, I guess why? What's the what's the term? Like, don't fix it if it ain't broken. Um. So right. if their stuff sells, why are they going to do massive, drastic changes if, you know, they can just do minor changes? So yeah. Um. That was our tech tangent of the week. Oh, I like that tech tangent. So yeah. Um. Peter, I guess you were actually contacted by a, uh, I guess up and coming. Uh, group called Funky Donkey. Yeah, we had a uh, a message on our Facebook page uh, the other day. So I guess this uh, this little indie funky type group called Funky Donkey, they're from <laughs> Israel, and they just released a song on their SoundCloud page called uh, "Set Me on Fire," which is a really good song. We are actually going to be able to play this today on our show in its entirety. So that's really cool. That's also very crunchy. Yes. Um, I, just, I sound like Captain Crunch now. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, I guess we can go ahead and play this song, which is Set Me on Fire by Funky Donkey. We hope you enjoy it. It's really cool. Thank you. 
And that was Set Me on Fire by Funky Donkey. They are an up-and-coming indie band from Israel, which is pretty cool. You don't really get a lot of funk from there. That's uh, the other side of the world for us. Exactly. It's it's pretty cool to see uh, funk music coming out of areas like that. So it's obviously not just uh, an American genre anymore. Yeah. Really, I don't think it ever was. Well, that's where it started. I mean, obviously with jazz and soul and everything. If you guys um, liked the song, you should go check out their SoundCloud page um do yeah you know we'll, uh, we'll include link? a link to it okay. on our facebook page and our article on eighthcircuit.com you can yeah. check out the uh, the link to this song and you can download it for free yeah and play it on your ipod and iphone and blast it in your cars so it gets more exposure yeah, yeah. but play us more but play us on, more <laughs> play us on your ipod or or on your galaxy i don't <laughs> as much as much as i love doing this podcast i don't think it's the format that you can really blast in a car we well, don't blast it, but oh, actually, something I want to mention uh, this weekend is uh, Carmageddon too. Oh, it is. Drivers on what is it? The 405. Oh, I don't even know. In uh, L.A., they're closing a certain amount of the freeway for the weekend. That's kind of a pain in the butt for everybody in L.A. So yeah, really. uh, if you find yourself stuck in traffic this weekend, we hope that you have us to listen to, to keep you warm and safe during yes. your drive. We're on iTunes, so you can just pull us up there and listen to us on your iPhone. Or on your Galaxy 3. Or on your Galaxy 3, yeah. So we got a, yeah, equal opportunity provider of funk. Yeah. Are, are we on the Android store, or can they just go on 8th Circuit and listen to us that way? What is the, is, oh, I, have, I, I guess it would be Google Play. Oh, I mean. No, I don't, I don't think 8th Circuit is on Google Play, but uh, they could be um, in the future. That's something I should bring up with them. Indeed. I want to mention, so if any of you um, are in a band or you know someone who's in a band or basically, you know, indie music who makes anything, you know, anything relatively close to funk, we would actually love to play your stuff on our show. So if you uh, if you want to get some cool exposure on our little show here, you should uh, check us out on Facebook.com slash get your funk and send us a message and we'll play your stuff on here. I mean, even if it's not, you know, strictly funk or soul you know if, even if it's even a little bit close i mean i know yeah it. a lot of people are really into the whole like electronic music nowadays so if you guys have anything like that's like a mashup or even mm-hmm. like you know just sort of electronic with like a funk undertone yeah you know send us and we'll listen to it and see if it's fitting for our show yeah uh all right so i guess that wraps up our show for today we hope you enjoyed listening to us again check us out on facebook and itunes Indeed. And on 8thCircuit.com. Yes, uh, this has been Kyle and... And this has been Peter. Signing off for Funk Radio. See you guys in a few days. Okay, bye. Bye.
For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.